you'll remain standing with us as we read in God's word together the story of the wise men from Matthew chapter 2, verse 7 through 12. Will you read with me? Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I don't know if you're like me, but I really like order. I I really like categories for things, and I really like to put things in order. In my house, I have a place where everything goes, and I enjoy, at the end of the evening, after my one-and-a-half-year-old daughter, Anna, has scattered everything about the house, I, I enjoy going and getting the things and, and putting them exactly where they go. That, that gives me a lot of relief and, and, and kind of a lot of pleasure doing that thing. I also love Excel, and, and I like to put things in cells and then categorize them and alphabetize them and, and number them. I I really like that kind of order. I don't know if you're like me and if you enjoy that kind of thing, but I I see people do that all of the time. And sometimes I see it done to the detriment of human society. I see order and, and, and categories made almost to the point where it's dangerous. I see this in the instance of news programs. Whether it's a conservative news program talking about all of the liberals and and all of them want just this one thing, whether they just want the government to take care of them or or they just want this one thing, all of these people want this. Or whether it's a liberal news organization talking about the conservatives and saying all they want is is for more money or, or this thing, all they want is this. I see categorization done in the form of racism whether they're black or white or Middle Eastern, that they say all of these people act in this same way. I see categories made over and over again, and I think many times people believe that that gives us some kind of relief, that we don't have to strain ourselves when we meet these different people, that we can just immediately categorize them in this one way, and that might make our life easier. But what we find in the gospel is that these categories of black or white, holy or unholy, good or bad, these categories mean nothing to God. And that's the good news found at Epiphany. Epiphany is the Christian holy day in which we celebrate the revelation of the Christ child to the wise men. It's the story that we read out of Matthew chapter 2. It's a very popular story, and we hear it over and over again, and I think we become kind of desensitized to the story. We hear it so often, we read it every Christmas, or we hear it told in some different way, and it 
kind of becomes numb to us. We don't have the same effect that the original hearers, the original readers had when they found this story. Because the passage that we read this morning begins with the sentence, then Herod secretly spoke with the wise men. Now that sentence alone should make our skin crawl. It should make the hairs on the back of our neck stand up. Herod, King Herod, also known as Herod the Great, ruled Judea from about 37 to 4 BC. And Herod was the emperor under Roman occupation. While Judea was under Roman occupation, it was a vassal state. That Roman rule ruled in Judea, and that Herod was the figurehead of the Roman government. And Herod was a bad guy. If we're putting people in categories here, Herod falls in the bad guy category. He's known for killing lots of people, especially religious people, especially Jewish people, even rabbis. That if we're putting people in categories, Herod is climbing towards the top of the bad guy category. Herod was even known for killing his own family so that he could succeed to the throne. Herod now fits in the worst guy category. That as soon as somebody mentions Herod, everybody's muscles tighten, their teeth clench, and they say, ooh, Herod. And we read that Herod is having a conversation with the wise men. Now, the Greek word that's translated wise men isn't actually wise men. The Greek word is magus, or which is the plural form of magi. Magi gets used later in the book of Acts. Paul comes across what he calls Jewish false prophets. And these Jewish false prophets are trying to raise people from the dead. And when Paul comes into contact with them, he realizes that they're doing, that they're doing the wrong thing. And so he casts blindness on one of the people, on, on, on one of these false prophets, so that they might come to know Christ, that they might come to know their need and their dependence upon Christ. And Paul calls these people magi, these false teachers. Magi is where we get the term magician from. They're people who do strange things that we don't quite understand. These are what magi are. And so when we read that Herod has this conversation with the magi, we we read that a worse person is having a conversation with, with bad people, all of whom fit in the bad category. Many scholars think that these, these magi, these wise men, were actually astrologers. That they were watching the stars, that they thought if they studied the stars close enough, if they watched the constellations long enough, that they might learn something about the earth. Some even think that, that the wise men, these magi, were what were called Zoroastrians. That they weren't just not Jewish, that they were a completely different faith. That they were a competing faith. That they were watching the stars so that they might learn something more about their god, Zoroaster. And so we read this sentence, that the worst guy is having a conversation with these bad people, all of whom fit in the worst category. This is the beginning of the epiphany, of the revelation of God in Jesus Christ to the wise men. What's worse about all this is that they're having a secret conversation behind locked doors. The beginning of the story, we don't know how it's going to turn out. We hear that Herod has this conversation with them, and he says something to them that we know is a lie. Herod says, 
tell me where Jesus is because I want to pay him homage. Every first hearer of that story knew that pay him homage really meant kill him. We read just a few verses later that Herod is willing to kill every Jewish boy in the hopes that he might kill Jesus because of the perceived threat that is found in the one who will be called king of the Jews. It's pretty clear that these are bad people. And so the story continues. The wise men follow the star, and they finally make it to Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And the scripture says that they found great joy whenever they found Bethlehem. They, they meet Mary and the child, and they open their treasure chests and offer him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, these gifts were typically given to a king. And even if a child was born who would succeed in the throne, these gifts were typically given. This, this is a usual gift for a king. But because these gifts are being given to Christ himself, they also have symbolic meaning. The ancient uh, Christian historian and theologian Origen puts these gifts in this way. Gold as to a king, myrrh as to one who was mortal, and incense as to a god. That myrrh was used to embalm the body. That the scent was so strong that it was given in the hopes that it might cover the scent of decaying flesh. That these are the gifts given to Jesus. One of them will foreshadow the very life and death of Jesus Christ. These gifts are given to Mary and to the child. And the wise men, these bad people, these wrong people, are so changed by this event, and they're told in a dream to not go back to Herod, that they get up the next morning, and the Scripture says that they go home by another way. This is the story of Epiphany. Now, this story obviously has been told many different times over and over again. And as stories tend to do, the more often they get told, the more kind of legend surrounds these stories. And one of the legends surrounding these stories is, well, that there were three wise men. We don't actually know that there were three wise men. We know that there were three gifts. There, there might have been three people, one for each gift, but there might have even been 30. We, we, we don't really know. But I think it's important to notice the, the assumptions that we make when we read these texts. Another assumption, another legend that follows this text is that the men who visited Jesus were actually kings. This is not exactly what Matthew tells us. But the reason that we assume that they are kings is because of what is written in the book of Isaiah, chapter 60, verse 1 through 3. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall overcome the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Because of this passage and, and, and the want for Jesus to fulfill scripture, although he does these were not kings that visited Jesus. Because if kings were the ones who visited Jesus, that would be, well, that would be the right people. 
in the right time, in the right place. And what we learn from the story of Epiphany is that these are, well, these are wrong people. And these are bad people. This story gets told over and over again. And, and, and because it gets told over and over again, it becomes the subject of many different art forms. Um, we have a picture here from the third century. Uh, this was carved into a sarcophagus, and it, it's the visitation of the Magi, of the wise men. You can see Joseph there and Mary and Jesus on the left, and uh, the wise men there on the right. This was done back in the third century. But this story was already told so often that it became the subject of art. And as these legends kind of surrounded the story, it kept being told over and over again. And art forms started to change as the story kept kind of changing. And so we moved from the third century to this painting, which was done in 1417 by a man named Hans Memling. You can see it looks kind of different than what we think it might have looked like back then. Right? I mean, the people are dressed kind of differently. The architecture is all different, mostly because it was done in the Renaissance, but also because of the legend that kind of surrounds this story. Another legend that gets added to the story of the wise men is actually a naming of the wise men and kind of a providing of backstory for them. One of the wise men's names, according to this legend, is Balthazar. Balthazar is of African or even Arabian descent. You can see him there on the right in the red. Uh, the other one is Casper. Casper is um, of Eastern descent, whether Indian or, or uh, modern-day China, whichever one, depending on which legend you read. Um, and he's often depicted wearing yellow. You can see him there kneeling at the feet of Jesus. And then finally, Melchior is of European descent. And you can see him there between the two wise men. These legends get added and provide this backstory for the wise men to provide the fact that they came from all over the earth. The Gospel of Matthew doesn't really tell us where they came from, but this legend gets added to say that they came from even the corners of the world. And this legend gets added because they want to emphasize the fact that Epiphany is the celebration of the revelation of God, not just to a Jewish mother and a Jewish father. Epiphany is not just the celebration of the revelation of God to the Jews, but to the world, the Jews and the Gentiles alike. And I think it's pretty clear that God chose the wrong people to do it. Throughout the Bible, we read of God choosing the wrong people, the bad people. In the beginning of the Bible, we read of God choosing slaves. In the beginning of the Bible, we read that, that God chooses these slaves and chooses these people to liberate out of Egypt, that he will give them a land, that even though they're a smaller people, they will conquer larger and, and much more powerful nations. What we read throughout the Bible is God choosing the wrong younger brother. What we read throughout the Bible is God choosing the wrong smaller person who has no armor, who has no know-how to fight, but God chooses these people. What we read throughout the Bible is God choosing the person of Jesus Christ to become the incarnation. That literally means that God put on flesh, that our God chose a mortal human form to come down and to show us how to live, to believe in him that we might have everlasting life. But God didn't choose Herod 
to incarnate in. God didn't choose a more powerful, stronger person. God chose Jesus. The wrong person of the wrong family at the wrong time in the wrong place. And then chose these magi, these these wise men, even worse people from a worse place and, and chose them to proclaim the revelation that I think it's pretty clear that God chooses the wrong people and God makes them right. That's the powerful story of Epiphany. And we as Christians are called to live on this side of the Epiphany. In terms of history, we're called to live on this side of the Epiphany and proclaim that revelation to the world. But that's going to be... Well, a little hard. We as Christians are called to be like modern day missionaries. When we send missionaries out into the world, we, we have like the Simans right now, our, our missionary family, and we're so happy to have them and proud to have them. But anytime we send missionaries out in the world, we don't understand that, that we give them God and, and then they hold God and then go out into these places that have never seen God and, and give them God. That's not what a missionary does. But a missionary goes out into the world and points out places that God has already been. That the power of the incarnation was that God took on human flesh, that God blessed even the weak and the bad. And we are called to be people of grace who point out God's revelation in our world. What would it look like if we as Christians were known for people who pointed out the good and not the bad? A famous rabbi once said of the story of Moses in the burning bush. When Moses is told by God through the power of the burning bush to go back to Egypt to liberate the Israelites out of slavery, that in this great and miraculous event, this rabbi says that the miracle of the story is not God coming in the form of a burning bush. The miracle of the story is that Moses noticed. For he says that everything is aflame with God's revelation. Everything is aflame with God's revelation. Not just the natural things. Not just nature and the world around us. Every person And every good act is aflame with God's revelation. And our job as Christians living on this side of the epiphany is to point that out and to claim that in the name of Jesus Christ. That's our calling as Christians. But it's not always the easy thing to do. I want to tell you a story about myself, and it's not one of my proudest moments, but um, at a previous church that I served, I was um, working in the office one day when a um, a man walked in, and it it was clear that um, the man was not well off. Um, I could tell by his clothes and and smell, quite frankly, but um, 
the man came into my office, and, and he didn't really even say anything. He just kind of came in and started telling me his story. And he started telling me the things that he needed. And, and most of all, he said he needed money, and he needed gasoline for his car. And, and he told me that his family was traveling from one place to another. And, and to be quite honest, I wasn't really paying attention to what he was saying. I couldn't even remember where he was traveling from or going to. And, and you know, just to kind of argue my side a little bit, we get a lot of people who, who have these kind of requests. Working in a church, this happens quite often, that, that people come in and, and it becomes kind of hard to take all of them seriously. And so when this man kind of came in, I, I had already discredited his story. But the man persisted and, and, and told me that he, his family was really in need, that most of all, they just really needed gas to get to where they were going. And so finally, I just agreed and said, fine, you know, I'll, I'll go and I'll get you some gas. And so then that meant that I had to, you know, close down my computer and I had to get my coat and lock up my office and follow the man to a gas station, which I didn't really think was all that close. And so I finally got to the gas station and I got out and I started pumping this man's gas. And and he got out of his car and was talking to me and told me how much he was thankful for this and, and how, you know, much further they had to go and, 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 and then all of these things. And I just really wasn't paying attention. And, and I, just, I just really, quite frankly, didn't care until finally the, the, the pump clicked and, and the tank was full. And so I pulled the hose out and put it back up, closed the man's tank and, and feigned just the worst, just God bless you, and started to walk away back to my car until finally the man said, hey, aren't you going to pray with us? And I turned around and noticed for the first time that the man had a family in his car. He told me about the family before, I just hadn't noticed. But I saw his wife in the front seat and two kids in the back. And they were all holding their hands out the window so that I could pray with them. And I'd like to tell you that I prayed an earnest and heartfelt prayer with that family. That I walked back to their car and I prayed that God would bless them on their journey, that God would bless them when they arrived at their destination, that He would bless them as a family to bind them closer together in this time. But I walked back and prayed an embarrassed and bitter prayer. I got back to my car and I went back to my office and I did the thing that I thought was more important. Because the truth is, being a Christian living on this side of the epiphany with God's revelation aflame in this world, it's not always easy. Because God chooses the wrong people. I am the wrong person. We are the wrong people. But God chooses us to witness to his revelation in the world, to point him out to other people who don't know him yet. God chooses us, the wrong people, and makes us right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, we don't always do the thing that we're supposed to do.
Because frankly, Lord, we many times want an easier way. God, we pray that you would give us a star. Give us a burning light in the sky, Lord. Give us whatever we need to witness to your world, God, to find your will in our life, to notice your word and your revelation active in this world. That we might point to you and claim the activity of your spirit in our world. God, we thank you for the gift of your worship. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, who taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.